Coming up right now, the newest episode from Carr, Gwyn, and Ode on Three Pagans and a Cat. Single is the race, single of men and of gods. From a single mother we both draw breath, but a difference of power in everything keeps us apart. For one is as nothing, but the brazen sky stays a fixed habituation forever. Yet we can, in greatness of mind or of body, be like the immortals. Welcome to Liminal 2, Electric Boogaloo, the 29th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of 5th century BCE Greek poet Pindar of Thebes, by way of current day author Misha Magdalene. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm the one who's electric boogaloo. <laughs> Mary Meek, my name is Gwyn Ode's mother. <laughs> I can say that I'm probably the only one here who has ever actually, like, Breakdanced. Probably. Yes, yeah. I have no. I don't have the coordination I, for that. Not, no, <laughs> I. I have no desire to break dance. I. It's just not my I, thing. I find I, it aesthetically very pleasing. I'm just incapable of doing it. It can be really interesting to In watch. In their early eighties, I used to take vinyl around with me. <laughs> <laughs> like a rolled up thing of vinyl, so uh, there would be space that we could break oh dance on the sidewalks Oh my god, you were one stuff. of those. Uh. <laughs> Is there a word corollary to nerd for what you were in the 80s? Nerd. <laughs> Just nerd. <laughs> but we wear that badge proudly. Uh, along with house, geek. Yeah. I would have been known as a b-boy. A b-boy. A yeah. b-boy. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Oh my god. Now that we've got that out of the okay, way. Okay, this yeah. is not actually an episode about dancing, you <laughs> no. might be surprised to learn. No, why don't you tell them what this is about? So, we call this Liminal 2, Electric Boogaloo, because it's the sequel to our original Liminal episode, which covered gender and sexuality and paganism. But there were so many elements to that topic that by the time we got to the end of it, we yeah. hadn't covered even really half right. of mm-hmm. what we wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. So we talked to listeners, and we talked amongst ourselves, and we decided, fuck it, we're just going to do a second, a second uh, do one. one. We'll just do another liminal episode and cover some of that other content. So that's what we're doing now. And I would like to say that the title was voted on yes. by... Our hunters who were in the uh, in the Discord, Discord last, last week, week and Electric Boogaloo won. One, yeah. The <laughs> other the other option was Liminal Two. This time it's personal, right? <laughs> but so. Electric Boogaloo Electric won Boogaloo by, won like, by a hands slide, down. Yeah, yeah. yeah but if we'd done this time, it was personal. I'd have to have done the intro. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> that's true. So, uh, before we get into the bulk of the episode, we have some of those usual maintenance things we need to do, starting with. The names of our new patrons since last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, last week we, we got three new hunters. Which we love you and appreciate you all. Yeah. Thank uh-huh. you. So that would be Pine, Sarah Bunder, and Joe. Thank you Thank guys you, Pine, so Sarah much. Thank you, Pine, Sarah Bunder, and Joe for joining the ranks of our hunters. Absolutely, because you guys help us out. You really mm-hmm. do. We've, we've said this many a time, but our patrons allow us to do this. Our patrons are going to help us go to convocation, convocation, convocation yeah. in about a month. Patrons are important. Yep. Yeah. I posted this on the Facebook group mm-hmm. and then frustrated the snot out of Ode <laughs> because uh, they had forgotten what we were going to do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I had completely <laughs> forgotten oh, yeah, our, yeah, yeah. I had completely, totally, 100% forgotten our patron goals. 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 We do so, have goals. Yeah. So I set goals like when we first started. And we discussed Patreon them all thing. when we started yep. and I agreed to them. So yeah. like, but I had just completely <laughs> forgotten. Yep. So currently we're at $349 a month coming in. Which um, is amazing. Which is like five times Holy more than shit. I predicted we would ever make. Uh, ever. Right. So you guys are fucking amazing. I'm just telling you. So we set these really high goals because we thought, well, <laughs> there's, we no, chance. there's <laughs> no chance they'll ever be obtained. 
Uh, so the first one was $750 a month. Mm-hmm. And when we reach $750 a month, it actually says Ode will work full-time on the podcast. Mm-hmm. This means we move to a weekly format. And yep. that really is now both of, us, both of us. Yeah, will be at, right. at this point it would be Gwen and I working full-time together. together on this podcast. Yep. Which means we can probably eliminate the middle one. <laughs> at, yeah, yeah. At 2500 because that was Gwen, Gwen working full time, time yeah. mm-hmm. on it. Um, and then our 5000 like a month deal uh, was yeah, like... Yeah, the dream goal. The That's dream the dream goal. <laughs> um, and that, that means we travel the country and we don't have real jobs. And we and just we do this. we go around and speak <laughs> and to just, people and... Exactly. Yeah, that's and, that's the far off dream. Yeah, yep, but so. you guys, but the fact that we're halfway, halfway to weekly schedule, I can't believe. So yeah. So listen up, guys. If you want us to go on a weekly schedule, you know how to, you know how, you to, know get how to get it. You right. know how to make it happen. Because <laughs> this weekly schedule that we're doing right now is just because we fucked up. Well, right. no, it's because we it's were because sick. we were sick throughout most of January. Yeah, so we weren't able to record on our usual exactly. schedule. So we're catching up now. Exactly. Normally, we're not on a weekly schedule. Nope, nope. Normally, it's bi-weekly. Somebody said something yeah, so in the Discord. Pronounced oh, like sunshine. Perfect. Ah, thank you. It just says that they struggle with this because they hate liminal spaces, uh, being black slash white, mm-hmm. dislike the in-between times, mm. constantly work on, on finding more comfort with it. But it always makes them squirmy. Hey, fair enough. Black and white thinking is very common in sort of modern society in general. I get you because I was in that place for a long time. To become the kind of pagan I wanted to be, I had to sort of leapfrog it and just become comfortable with cognitive dissonance. Yeah. In the style of all good sequels, Liminal 2 Electric Boogaloo has a callback from the original one in the form of this commercial from the Grand Rapids Kimono Club. Hosted by our tiger Akaneko, as you may recall... Historical kimono brought with them an elaborate set of social rules that governed how your kimono was worn and what kimono said about you, from gender, age, and marital status, to even social position, personality, and your plans for the day. If you want to learn those rules, and once you know them, maybe break them in interesting ways, and you live in the Grand Rapids area, check out the Grand Rapids Kimono Club on Facebook. Owning a kimono is not a requirement for admission to the group. Thank you, Akaneko, for your support. Yeah, we We greatly appreciate it. Well, since this whole episode is about one thing, and going to get into it here pretty heavy Mm -hmm. in just a second, I figured we ought to start with, guess what? (laughs) It's time for reviews. This, this is that was a really good one for starters. That was nice, very. And very nice. I think this is the first time we've ever started with. I know, review. It's like you're throwing me off, man. but well, it's but yeah, it really I mean, fits. I mean, he's it right. Does. This is it's sort true. of this is definitely the right place to start. That's true. So we're gonna be reviewing a pretty old book now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're reviewing Gay Witchcraft by Christopher, Christopher Penzak, Penzak. Mm-hmm. written in 2003. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it is now God seven, sixteen years 16 old. Years yeah, old. yeah, sixteen yeah, years ago. Still worth the read. Yeah, it's it's um Cara and I both felt sort of ambivalent about this book. Yeah. Uh, Gwen liked it more than us. I, I did. I did. I liked how he, you know, he shared his own experience as a gay man in the pagan community. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he breaks Especially it. in the 2003 pagan. Yeah, exactly. In the early 2000s in general. Exactly. Right. I mean, he breaks it all down. He talks about mythology and he talks about, you know, different types of ritual and how things can be incorporated. And it's really, I like it that because it, it addresses a need in the gay community. But you're a witch. 
True. Yeah. This is it's a, very witchcraft based. Well, it's not even. Fair. I mean, it's not even very witchcraft. It's it's very wicked. Wicca. It yeah. is there's a lot of. That's true. There's a very Wiccan tone, mm-hmm. right, uh, mm-hmm. to this book. So it's it's pretty exclusively going to be of interest, I think, to Wiccans. Wiccans. That's yeah. true. Yeah. But I found things in there as a witch, not mm-hmm. a Wiccan, that I could find right. useful. So yeah. I mean, I think there's useful parts of the book. I yeah, think that absolutely. The, the book as a whole, I think. It falls short of addressing the entire pagan community. Mm. Yeah, it's and very narrow falls short of now, in today's day and mm-hmm. age, well, that's addressing true. the entire LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, right. yeah. Right. But that doesn't mean it's not helpful to someone who is struggling Here's, as a gay man or, you know. No, explicitly really, as a gay man. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It's not, it, it really doesn't cover it's it's a lesbian like, experience. It really it doesn't cover trans, uh, a trans experience or a non-binary. non-binary it's, binary, it's pretty yeah. exclusively a, a gay is, man's, and, and a gay does, cis man's experience. Right. And it does say that. Yeah. Right. Like I said, I don't think it's a bad book. I just don't think it covers all of pagandom and mm-hmm. I don't think it covers all of the LGBTQ experience. Yeah. And that's okay. You know, there there seems to have been a gap. I mean, this yeah. is 2003. We're in 2019. We're, we're 15 years later. Well, like, right. I'm, it just makes me wonder if people thought, okay, well, Christopher's handled it. Right. <laughs> that's that's it then. You know. Right. I guess that's it. You know. I'll say that this book is valuable for a very specific individual. True. It is specifically valuable for not just a, a gay man, a gay cis man mm-hmm. interested in Wicca. It's exclusively useful for a gay cis man who has no prior experience with Wicca. True. This book basically starts you from zero and takes you through, like, the necessary steps, all the pieces you would need to practice right. a, mm-hmm. as a gay man in a Wiccan system. Mm-hmm. It's very thorough in that context. That's what I liked about it. It's very thorough. It, it covers pretty much everything, including a lot of things that I don't know it really needed to cover, because they don't have, like, there are rituals and spells and potions and things in here that are pretty standard and not, mm-hmm. like, there's nothing distinguishing them from what I would find in any other book, so I'm not sure right. why they were included here. Other than just for completeness. Mm. But if it's the only book you buy. Exactly. Right. I think this is sort of intended to be... A beginner's guide. The, a the beginner's guide, the yeah. Beginner's the guide. The book you start with if you were a gay man interested in Wicca. Yep. Yep. Which is interesting because some parts, especially the beginning, the part that uh, that covers history, feels like it's, it's trying to hit a much broader queer range. Yep. And I think a much broader pagan range, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then it narrows. And then it yeah. abruptly shifts focus to this very narrow interest. Right. And this very narrow so audience. So I, I would agree, then, that it would have been nice if Christopher had made it more like what the, the beginning of the book described. Or if the, the Or if the beginning of the book had been more narrowly focused That's on right. this audience. Yeah. Or if he it, had written another book that, right. you know, was a little bit more broadly right. yeah. uh, scoped. Yeah. Uh, I'll say, I guess, that it felt a little bit scattered to me. Yeah. But in terms of, like, giving it a number score, I mean, I felt personally ambivalent about it, but I feel like it is going to be useful for the, its specific mm-hmm. intended audience. I'll give yeah. it a four out of five, probably. Okay. I would give it a four out of five stars. Okay, I'm probably a three and a half, but that's mm-hmm. close enough. Mm-hmm. We'll call it a 3.7, a 3.8. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know that we can do that. But no, I don't think that's how, <laughs> that's those, I don't think that's how those reviews I don't think work. That's how it works. <laughs> anyway, that's it for reviews. That was a good one, too. Another good one. You're feeling very musical today. In very good voice. Uh, Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) I'll be here all week. Remember, keep your waiters and waitresses. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So I think since it's the most relevant topic to the book, we should probably talk about queer deities now. Sure. Yep. Yep. 
So we're going to talk about crudeity because that's something that gets asked like more than oh, I expect. A lot. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people. A lot asked. of people have asked us specifically about crudeity, mm-hmm. which, yeah. which I find interesting because it feels to me like it's pretty easy to find out which deities are queer. If you, you do queer an internet search, friendly? though, it's not very... I don't know. I I did Google, you know, a Google search, and it came up immediately with an article that listed like fifty five queer deities. Like fifty five. Yeah. <laughs> How did I not now, out Google you? No, I know it was like a miracle. Usually, Carr has the best Google in the right? house. But um, now there were a few included in there that I was like, Man. I've seen. Yeah, I've seen some of these lists some sometimes where I'm like, I mean, that's sort of that's some UPG you can have, sure. I, I guess. But there were others where you're like, oh yeah, fuck yeah. Right. <laughs> Transparently true. Transparently yeah. true. And I wonder I, if some of this comes from, if some of this uncertainty about who qualifies, I guess, uh-huh. as a queer deity uh-huh. comes from the fact that a lot of the genuinely queer deities have been sort of co-opted by straight, cis, hostile dude bros. Possibly, um, yeah. Zeus and and Odin and yeah. Thor in particular have been mm-hmm. they've been given this weird veneer of toxic masculinity that yeah. doesn't really apply to them mythologically. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think you you find that in a lot of these things is be, because what we're talking about, like Wicca, tends to be specifically male female deity, very dual, very, very dualistic, very heteronormative, yeah. and so it it lends the suggestion that perhaps when investigating various myths they just kind of you know people have just kind of glossed over Mm -hmm. the the areas where that god was a little bit you know a little bit not straight (laughs) (laughs) like or not at all you know a a little bit completely unsubtly not straight right and they just and and people see what is familiar to themselves Mm -hmm. you know so i think when people are are reading mythology sometimes they just all they see really of that deity is what connects with them. Right. So that's the only thing I can assume. You look at the the story of Zeus and Ganymede. Mm-hmm. That's, right. This is a this is a very unsubtle Zeus. Zeus chooses a young male lover in the tradition of Greek. Yeah. Uh, Pedestria, I think is how it's pronounced. Yeah. The there was a tradition in Greek yeah. culture where older men took younger men as lovers and mm-hmm. sort of mentored them and into adulthood. It was kind of an honored position yeah. in that society. Yeah, it was a... And it's something that, like, nowadays would not be no. socially cool. But in Greek society, that was normal practice, mm-hmm. at least in some parts of, of Greece. Greece was broken up into city-states, polises, and each polis had its own sort of unique social and cultural standards. Right. But Right. In, in like Athens, pl- places like that, pedastry was very common. And Zeus's relationship with Ganymede mm-hmm. is pretty explicitly that. And I understand is that those people, you know, in Greece, kind of, that was one of the reasons they worshipped Zeus and... I mean, uh, everybody worshipped Zeus. I know. But I mean, they kind of like, they, it was their representative of what their relationship right. Ganymede, were. Ganymede was sort of the ideal... Yeah representative of the younger partner exactly. in a pederastic relationship. Thank you. Yes. I think it's interesting. I think I, I really do go back to the argument that I think we, we see what connects with us. Mm-hmm. So maybe with these guys who are hijacking Odin and Zeus and Thor and making them these real masculine, Here's the they're thing. just kind of skipping over. Here's the thing. Well, I don't know so much about Zeus because I'm not part of that mythology, but Odin and Thor are very like, masculine individuals. Oh, sure. They're just 
not exclusively that. Right. But the, here's the thing. Uh, you can be very masculine. My stepfather, my, okay, just a little background. My dad, who has, he passed away several years ago, mm-hmm. but my father was gay. Yep. And his husband, very masculine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very masculine. I mean, and so... I love him so much. I know. He's awesome. He he and I are still close. You know, it's a misconception. Yeah. This idea that a gay man cannot be super masculine. And this was something that existed in ancient cultures, too. Especially in, in heathen culture, there's, there's this complicated relationship with what was called pejoratively arger, which is being the receptive partner in a homosexual relationship. In a male homosexual relationship. He, uh, ancient Norse peoples don't seem to have really been interested in or cared about female thing, homosexual relationships. Yeah, the thing I read was that the Norse people were like, eh, as long as you, you know, have a kid, contribute to the tribe, yeah, then it you're was, fine. It was, <laughs> it was generally acceptable to have a homosexual relationship as long as you had a family. Yeah. And contributed to the tribe, but there was still like a stigma yeah. associated with being the the receptive partner yes. Yes. Uh, in a male homosexual relationship, which is interesting because Odin was Arger. Odin practiced Siddur, mm-hmm. which is a type of magic that he learned from Freya, mm-hmm. and it was considered to be a feminine mystical art involving a lot of wiles, and Odin transformed into a woman p- p- repeatedly spent long periods of time as a woman, and practiced Sither, this explicitly feminine mystical art Mm -hmm. that he learned from Freya. And, like, on one occasion, during the flighting uh, in the Locasena, Loki calls him out on it, like, dude, you're giving me shit for for being queer? Excuse me? Yeah, because Loki... Have you looked in a mirror recently? Loki would transform into anything and have sex. I mean, you know... (laughs) Well, the one time Male, we know female, about... Male, horse. Yes, I mean, he would yeah. transform into pretty much anything. The one time we know he transformed into a mare and had sex was when he had sleep near. <laughs> I know. And then, you know, Odin should say thank you because, because he then... sleep near becomes Odin's becomes Odin's Steve. Right. Yes, exactly. So do you have the rest of the quote by Misha Magdalene that I, do. I sent you? Yes. Because I think the last part of that really fits in well with where we're at. Mm. Okay. And the other thing I would would ask is, do you think then because of Odin getting into the these magics and mm-hmm. transforming into a woman for a time, and would he be a good god for someone who's transgendered? Yeah, Odin and Loki are both very. I've found them very useful in working through my experience as a non-binary person. Mm-hmm. And there's a, de- a degree to which this is UPG and a degree to which this is transparently supported by the myth that still exists. I've found them very supportive and useful guideposts in taking a position of just zero fucks given mm-hmm. vis-a-vis gender. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know that either of them that I would ID either of them as explicitly transgender. Mm-hmm. Uh, Loki, I think you could probably ID pretty unsubtly as non-binary. Yeah. Uh, I think Odin is just practical. <laughs> <laughs> and if it was more practical to be a woman for this particular moment, then that's what he would do. Mm-hmm. Right. Because Odin... Honestly, so would Zeus. Odin, yeah. <laughs> Odin Zeus was a zero fucks given kind of person. Yeah. But Odin was also just a trickster mm-hmm. who... And this is another thing often misunderstood about Odin, but I won't get into it in too much detail here. We'll Odin, talk about it in another Yeah, Odin podcast. was just a trickster who did whatever was most useful and expedient at the time to accomplish his various subtle aims. Right. <laughs> so what is that, that quote? Yeah, so we have a quote here. The quote I opened the episode with is actually a piece of it. 
So we have a quote here from Misha Magdalene, who has a book that's coming out hopefully sometime in the next year. Yeah, so sometime probably late 2020 or mid to late 2020. Yeah. No title's been decided on yet, mm-hmm. but it'll be Llewellyn. Yeah. So we've been in, in conversations with Misha Magdalene a little bit. They provided this quote for us. Once we've reclaimed our own queerness or embraced the queerness of those around us, the obvious next step to look at our spiritual praxis to see how it reflects that element of our selfhood. The Western esoteric movement has a fabulous potential for supporting, sustaining, and embracing queerness as a natural facet of human experience, and we can see that reflected in our mythologies, theologies, and cosmologies. In the sixth of his Nemean Odes, the Greek lyric poet Pindar of Thebes speaks to the relationship and kinship between humanity and the gods. Single is the race, single of men and of gods. From a single mother we both draw breath, but a difference of power in everything keeps us apart. For one is as nothing, but the brazen sky stays a fixed habituation forever. Yet we can, in greatness of mind or of body, be like the immortals. If the gods exist as independent beings with their own agency, as Pindar and I both believe, then they exist in relationship with us for whatever reasons they choose, to help us become more like them, or perhaps more like ourselves. In such a case, it can't be an accident that they choose to share their stories with us, nor is it an accident they have shaped us to be them in body, mind, and spirit. We share with them both form and nature, and that includes our embodied expressions of gender and sexuality. Alternately, if we believe that human beings created gods to help us understand our own lived experiences, why wouldn't we create and worship queer gods? After all, we all crave seeing ourselves and our own stories reflected in the stories we tell ourselves, and most especially in the stories we tell about ourselves. That was such a good quote. Yeah. I can't wait for that book to come Me out. Yeah, Me either. It's going to be a great I'm book. I'm urgently desiring it. If you all are interested more about that book from Misha Magdalene, you can go to mishamagdalene.com yep. and uh, follow everything there on the blog. And when it comes out, we're going to review it probably. Yep, absolutely. So Justin said, I didn't realize that Thor could be thought of as queer. Definitely more familiar with him in more common culture. He is one I at least acknowledge due to heritage, Norwegian and Swedish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Thor isn't a conventionally queer god. He's certainly not queer in the same way that Loki and Odin are. But there is a myth where Thor's hammer is stolen by a giant who insists that to return it, he is going to need Freya's hand in marriage, because everyone in every myth ever wants Freya's hand in marriage. She was the shit. This is also, this is also what happens when uh, they, they try to build a wall and Loki has to turn into a horse <laughs> to distract the builder's uh, assistant, <laughs> because everyone wants Freya's hand in marriage as the reward for whatever they're up to. And he had a little fun while he was there. Uh-huh. Or I should say they. They, they had a little fun. They yes, had presumably fun. the stallion also enjoyed the experience. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> to get his hammer back, since Freya's obviously not going to marry some rando giant who stole uh, Thor's hammer, Thor goes undercover, essentially, and cross-dresses as Freya, mm-hmm. uh, gets all dressed up in a veil and in wedding clothes and Loki, because Loki's always up for an adventure, <laughs> also cross-dresses and joins him as a handmaiden. And this is this turns out to be very wise, because Thor cannot keep his shit together every time the giant tells him how beautiful and demure he is. He starts, like, losing his temper and being like, I should just smash now! <laughs> and Loki has to be like, no, no, stay calm, I'll deflect. <laughs> <laughs> Thor is not a conventionally queer deity, but he has this story in the myth 
where he, for practical reasons, adopts a feminine identity temporarily. Mm-hmm. He's not transgender, but he is cross-dressing. That's something that would make the dude bros who identify with Thor really strongly hyper uncomfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. So I like to point it out every time they come up. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go ahead and mention what are what are some of the other or who are some of the other gods, the other deities? Uh, there are a bunch of them. I don't know them across every culture because I'm I'm pretty focused on. Do you want me to give me the top five of the ones I have? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So Greek. Mm-hmm. My, the top five I have are Achilles. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Achilles and Patroclus. Not yep. subtle. Right. Nope. Not subtle at all. Zeus, obviously. Yeah, with Ganymede. Yep. Uh, Narcissus. With himself. <laughs> <laughs> right. There was another dude involved in that, yeah. though. Yeah. But but I then mean, Narcissus, you yeah. know, like said, fuck you, and, you know. Apollo. <laughs> yep. And number five would be Hermes. Yeah, yeah, Hermes yeah. is often understood as a... And well, and Hermes also just has a very sort of fey quality mm-hmm. right. that a lot of... Uh... So, Egyptian. Okay. I have Isis. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'll be honest, most of what I know of Isis is the story where she resurrects uh, Osiris. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Isis was born female but raised male by his mother. Oh no, yeah, I do. I do. That does sound yep. familiar. So, uh, so Seth? really transgendered. Mm, maybe, uh, maybe. Uh, this is this is one of those things where you 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 come across this problem where we didn't ha- we didn't use these words yeah, back in the day. Right. right, exactly. These are new frameworks for natural human expressions. Mm-hmm. So trying to ID, I, which is why I usually just ID deities as queer generally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's why I will protect the word queer with my life, and you don't have to use it, but I'm gonna. Which is an argument that's been ongoing and f- infuriates me. <laughs> so, Seth? Yep. Mm-hmm. Horus? Yes. Antonius? It sounds like it's probably a Greek, probably from the Greek-Egyptian yeah. hybrid period. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Egyptian-Greek-Roman. Yep. Kind of. Whoosh. Yeah. There was a time there where Egypt was basically colonized, and so there are a lot of Egyptian deities that were heavily syncretized with Greek and Roman deities Mm -hmm. and essentially created new gods. Uh, Hadrian is actually the one who encouraged the deification of Mm. Antonius. Oh, was Antonius Antonius Hadrian's lover? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I thought that was... And then Autumn. Okay, yeah. Yep. This, well, I mean, it's it's true across, honestly, mm-hmm. most cultures. Yeah. I wanna, you could also say Poseidon is considered a queer deity. Okay. Hermaphroditus. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. It's there in the name, huh? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, so there's tons of them. I mean, you could pretty much come up with some in every mm-hmm. uh, mythology. And, I, and like I said, I think part of this comes down to trying to fit them into the boxes we use today is not necessarily productive. Right. Because those didn't exist at the time. Like, we talked about pederasty earlier. Greek men who engaged in pederastic practices wouldn't have considered themselves homosexual. Most of the time, they also had wives and children and families and what we would consider straight relationships. Right. They wouldn't consider themselves gay. They wouldn't consider themselves Mm -hmm. bisexual. They considered themselves men. Right. Right. (laughs) Who had boyfriends and wives. Like Right. It just wasn't a thing back then. Exactly. It wasn't a thing. Yeah. Exactly. And it's definitely something that's more probably Western culture than anything else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you look at the people who were the third gender in in native cultures, cultures, were almost, almost all were 
the shamans yeah. mm-hmm. of their tribe. Mm-hmm. You know, so they were actually elevated to that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, it makes you wonder, and I haven't done the research on this, but I'm right. wondering out loud so to our listenership <laughs> that maybe druids would have been in that quote unquote third gender, right, in that... or you know, anybody who's in that kind well, of. I, I... A, a traditional a traditional shaman was someone who, uh, at least in Siberian culture, which is where the word shaman comes from, yep. a shaman was someone who had undergone a near-death experience. Mm-hmm. You couldn't be a shaman unless you had, like, literally died. And crossed into the spirit And realm. then just it didn't stick. So there's one way or another... In, in most cultures, to be involved in a magical practice involved crossing some kind of threshold, whether that was literally life and death, whether that was the threshold between genders, whether right. that was, you know, mm-hmm. it involved being in a liminal in a position. Liminal right. position. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Which is why we're calling this liminal right. too. <laughs> electric electric boogaloo. Yeah, I mean, that's, because it is a liminal space, really. Yeah, and the, that black and whiteness that Sunshine was talking about earlier... That, I think, comes down from the sort of Western Christian cultural Mm -hmm. framework, which has permeated our culture in a way that I think most of us aren't consciously aware of. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, even people who think of themselves as secular are sort of secularly Christian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like we were were saying earlier, Wicca, when it was started by Gerald Gardner, Mm -hmm. Very specifically heteronormative, yep. male, female. And Gardner perceives those as coming from, like, nature. Mm-hmm. But really, they come from, you know, sort of a, a, a very Christian, a very Western. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Uh, black and white, this and that, on and off framework. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Where there really is more fluidity, I think, the in natural nature world, than we realize. The natural world contains gay animals. It contains animals that'll have sex with corpses. It contains animals that reproduce asexually. Exactly. Yeah. It contains frogs that change their gender based on the population dynamics of their individual pond. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Nature doesn't give a shit about dual feminine masculine energy. Exactly. Right. Nature is very fluid. And so I think in that way, we too are very fluid right. in our is, natures. This is another thing that I think maybe people are uncomfortable with or uncomfortable with thinking about. We're part of the animal kingdom. Mm-hmm. Just because we think of ourselves as special and we, you know, we use tools and we have language, language, mm-hmm. right? We we think of ourselves as sort of higher animals. Actually, not even part of the animal kingdom. Well, we're we, above. We think of ourselves as above. I've, we think of our yes, culturally, we cultural. think of ourselves as above the animals, right? But sort of in a science context, even we are considered huh. higher animals. Yes, right. exactly. And that's not. I don't think that's a useful distinction. And that's something that people have a hard time doing because of, I think, that black and white thinking, that mm-hmm. that Western... Yeah, uh, it has to be one or the other. Life, death, male, exactly. female, uh, night, day, blah, blah. Exactly. Whereas, n- no, the, the day isn't split into night no, and day. it isn't. It grades from sunrise to sunset. We have liminal spaces in mm-hmm. the, within mm-hmm. our, in that time. There's I not a the, there's not a sharp delineation between these things. Exactly. There's not a sharp delineation between almost anything. It's time for Odes <laughs> Stone Corner. <laughs> That's fair. We did veer a little off the we point. We did. Huh? We did. <laughs> Today we're going to be covering Septarian. Septarian is actually not a individual mineral. 
it is a concretion. A concretion is a mass of minerals that's formed by the precipitation of mineral cement uh, in various particles in the space between the particles and sedimentary layers, mostly rock and soil and like mud and stuff like that. Most of the septarian that exists today was formed in the Cretaceous period in seas that no longer exist, and they form up in nodules around organic matter. So some septarian specimens that you find will actually have, you know, fossilized leaves or shells or or things like that uh, in the center of them, although you can't find that out until you crack it open, which sometimes you're then disappointed. Right. (laughs) Um, But septarian is a specific kind of concretion that has very distinctive cracks called septaria, and they are formed when the concretion shrinks as the as the seas receded, the concretions shrank, and that caused the mineral forms to, to crack internally. And those cracks were filled with different minerals, uh, mostly calcite and argonite. So septarian is traditionally sort of on a gray or a white base, uh, usually limestone, and then there will be cracks filled in with argonite, which is a brown mineral, and then usually calcite will fill in the center of the cracks, usually in a, a yellow calcite. I gotta be honest, it makes me think of dragon's egg. Uh, septarian is often sold <laughs> as, yeah, dragon's, dragon's egg, egg septarian. It's dragon's beautiful. Egg stone, yeah. It's absolutely beautiful. So septarian, because it's composed of sort of these layers of different minerals, mm-hmm. uh, rather than being a specific mineral itself, has a highly variable nature. To a large extent, what you're going to get with septarian sort of depends on what its constituent elements actually are and what orientation they're in. Okay. I get a lot of ancestor energy off of most septarian, I think because of the age of the stones and especially the ones that formed around or in response to, like, fossilized remains. Right. I also get a lot of transformation energy off septarians, which is why I include them here. Because queer people are sort of constantly undergoing transformations, building up the layers of their identity. And that's something a septarian stone is obviously going to be very good for, uh, supporting that kind of experience. If you have a tradition like mine that has a soul complex where the soul is, is composed of different parts and they all sort of work together, septarian may be useful for you in that, in focusing those different layers of yourself into an inextricable whole connecting uh, damaged soul pieces into the soul complex, that, that kind of thing. I also get a very sort of serpentine and mm-hmm. snakeskinny vibe off of uh, Septarian, and I think it's useful for shedding the bad uh, and moving on to your deeper and more compelling layers. Right, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably true for people who are in the LGBTQ community, you shed so, a lot of masks over right, the course of your right, life. Right, exactly. Yeah. Who need to shed that mm-hmm. that veneer that they put on for the general public? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I would say or septarian. Even family. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I would say septarian is a great stone if you need some assistance coming out of closet. Right. Yeah. If you need something to give you a little boost, I this is one of the stones that like, and maybe this is because it's not a raw mineral. It's it's a mm-hmm. it's a concretion. Right. 
I don't want to say like this is what you use it for because mm-hmm. it's very much an individual like mm-hmm. your mileage may vary based on the individual stones you're dealing with. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like for me, I guess probably because of the association with dragon egg mm-hmm. kind of thing, I get a very fire element vibe off of that. Oh yeah, there's a there's a this stone in particular that I'm talking about is a is a fairly large sphere of septarian. It's got very large calcite inclusions and yeah, I as soon as I picked it up the first time I was like, okay, this is my snake fire friends now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it belongs to me. So, <laughs> so I brought it home. Um, <laughs> you can also find in Michigan uh, something called lightning stone, okay. which is technically also a septarian uh, concretion. It's I get a different vibe off of lightning stone than I do from commonly sold septarian, which is usually mined in Madagascar and New Zealand. Okay. Michigan lightning stone has a punchier, more active, and sort of younger feeling. Hmm. Um, and I think that's because m- it's mostly found in rivers, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, and, and lake beds rather gotcha. than it's the septarian you get out of like Madagascar and New Zealand, which is the ocean. Ocean. It's, gotcha. it's sea level septarian. So that's it for odes. Stone Corner. All right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Very nice. He's, he's showing off his lung capacity. No, I just watched a thing on the XFL. So, keeper yeah, of everything. Keeper of everything. Oh, keeper of everything. Yeah. So the next thing I wanted to talk about specifically, because it's the other thing we're asked about all the time, is mm-hmm. fertility. Yeah. Yeah, we get this question a lot about fertility, and I think it's because there's this really heteronormative concept of fertility in mm-hmm. paganism generally. It's perceived very much as a sort of like perpetuating the species kind of right. concept. And I think it pushes a lot of people away from holidays in particular, because there mm-hmm. are a lot of fertility focused holidays. Yeah. And I know it pushes people away from deities. Like Freyr is associated with fertility, and I know there are a lot of people who are like, well, I don't have anything to do with that. That's not really my gig. So they, like, don't approach Freyr, which is a shame because he's a real, like, you can be your best self, like, self-care god that I think a lot of people would benefit from. So I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk about fertility as something other than sexual, for starters, Mm -hmm. because I know the fertility as procreation thing also discourages a lot of asexual people Mm -hmm. who are part of the queer community, and anyone who disagrees can fight me, because there's a lot of discourse about that, as usual. How I usually frame fertility for myself is as creativity, Mm -hmm. is as starting new projects rather than trying to Mm -hmm. create new life. And I think part of that is because I'm an animist, so for Mm -hmm. me, like, an artistic project might develop life. Yeah, I think fertility is a wide enough term that it can encompass all these things. You know, it can encompass the the giving of life to a humanoid or an animal life form or whatever. Humanoid. <laughs> humanoid. Um, but it can also... be. It can also be about not just procreation, like you said, but it can be about... The creation of ideas, the birth of a new project. I think, I wonder if, and this is complicated because this word has Christian associations, mm. but I wonder if a better word than fertility would be Genesis. Mm. Yeah, well, beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and really that is probably a, a better, because fertility for me, it, it really, it is about beginnings, mm-hmm. but I think people get so narrow focused on that word thinking procreation. Yeah. Like you said, we need to be able to expand our definition of fertility. Like when we are, when we are celebrating Beltane, which is a, a fertility right. 
as so many of them are. As so many of them are. I think we talked about this last year too, is that it can, it doesn't have to just be about making babies. It, you know, it can be about forming a new business or an art project or clearing out your life, you know, the birth of a new you, if you will. See, that's transformation though. True. This is the thing, like, I don't want to muddy the waters and say like, everything can be fertility because I mean, no. it is, it is a distinct concept. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it has to be tied to procreation. I don't think well, it has no. to be tied to, well, to fertil- children. Fertility is the act of being fertile. Well, right. that's true. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So fertile, according or to Merriam- the state, I guess, of the being state fertile. of being yeah, fertile. Yeah, the state so of being fertile. So the Merriam-Webster Dictionary's definition. definition of fertile is producing are many crops in great quantities, characterized by a great resourcefulness of thought or imagination. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So that's that's the first one. The second one is the growth of those things, growth and development. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because it's um, not always a new thing. Sometimes right. it's so what you're nurturing. Saying, okay. So taking the transformation part out of it, what you're saying is that it we need to expand our our understanding of fertility as pagans to encompass more than just procreation. Yeah. I don't even think as pagans. I think as well, people. as people. <laughs> yeah. In general. But I'm saying as pagans because this is what our focus right, is right now. That's what we do. I think a lot of, I think a lot of this drama comes down to the fact that paganism is very heteronormative. Mm-hmm. Even today. Yes, there's a lot of is. subtle to greater and lesser degrees subtle. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Subtle. Heteronormativity and cisnormativity and paganism. So when people hear terms like fertility, they are thrown automatically back to, well, this person probably means something about the great right Right. or something about the cycle of the god and the goddess. Mm -hmm. That's what they're talking about. Right. And I, like, I get where that comes from because probably that is what that person is talking about. Chances are. Chances are, if you're in a ritual and the ritual leader starts talking about fertility in very general terms... They are probably referring mm-hmm. to the great right yeah. or to the, the, the god and goddess of energies between male and female. Right. The, the that that cycle where the god dies and is reborn and right. has sex with his mother and dies again and we have to understand, I think, or come to a place of understanding that paganism is more than Wicca and more than Wiccan concepts. Yeah, there's I think a... that's, that's what we need to get to a place to. I think because it's a lot of just Gardner. I think because a lot of people start at Wicca, mm-hmm. they never completely step beyond it. True. So I think that's where a lot of these things come from. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was reading an article on Witchbox, okay, by uh, Janice Van Cleve, mm-hmm. who talked about a skyclad ritual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that she attended, and Janice is a lesbian. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they got into the ritual, not something that uh, she would normally do, Mm -hmm. but... But she was willing to... Right, it was a co-ed skyclad ritual, which is weird for her, because normally she'd prefer it be female only. Mm -hmm. Right. So they they made a a deal that, you know, there was a safe sign that she would give, that if you didn't want to be touched. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the person that she got paired up with, because it was boy-girl, boy-girl, boy-girl pairing... Yeah, heteronormative. Heteronormative. Right, did not follow that. Didn't obey the safe sign. And went ahead and touched and... Made her feel uncomfortable. And made her feel very uncomfortable. And they... Overall, they handled it okay after the fact. Right, but um, in the moment. But, but in the moment, and made her feel very uncomfortable doing any kind of co-ed thing ever again. Ever again. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, sour, sour that experience. Back yep. to the rules, people, if you're going to be in a situation. And I think, I think what we need to do is, if you're going to do those kind of rituals, mm-hmm. you need to leave it open for people to 
pair up as they feel. Yeah. yeah. As know, they yeah. feel led. As, as they, they feel, feel led. led. Right. Mm-hmm. So whatever that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whatever that looks like. So. And I think that goes back to what you opened this all up with is intention. We have to be more intentional. Yeah. In our, in our definitions, in our understanding, in, in our rituals. If we're going to do a public ritual, we need to be more intentional and more understanding of the fact that there will most likely be people who are not heteronormative in the crowd. Or not cis. Or not cis. And I know it's like, I'm sure that this feels like it sucks for the people who have never had to do this before, Mm -hmm. who've never had to open their rituals with, here's what we're going to do. And here are the, the gendered components of it. And here are the sexualized components of it. Please share whether you are comfortable with these things and we have alternatives available for you. I get that that probably feels uncomfortable and unpleasant and boring and stressful for the people who've never had to do that before. But I invite you to consider how stressful it is to be that person mm-hmm. in a space where you can never trust whether your ritual leaders know that you are there or care as the person you are, mm-hmm. right. whether they look at you and just assume that they already know you mm-hmm. right. and that you will be fine with whatever they tell you to do. And I think that's where the pagan community needs to grow in its awareness. Mm-hmm. Because, like, we're getting ready to go to convocation. Yep. We're in a couple of weeks. We're going to be teaching there. There are going to be public rituals there. Right. Yep. It would be wonderful if we saw that, you know, leaders of these rituals would do, would start doing these things, start making things more inclusive to people who are not cis, mm-hmm. who are not heteronormative, who, you know, who like, are not... Our society is so fluid right now yeah. mm-hmm. that somebody who identified as male last time you did a ritual... Might not might identify not as male. May not identify. The gods didn't. Yeah, exactly. So why should we? Exactly. So if that's the case, then we need to come up with rituals that are not... Mm-hmm. Right. The, yeah. The the easiest solution to this is just to remove gendered elements right. entirely. Right. right. Exactly. Now, or I'm, make them all optional, opt in. Well, no. Like make them all. Well, I guess it would be non gendered, but make them all so that it didn't matter. Right. I know. know. Now, right. Swing, now here we yeah, run into whoever a right, has yeah. this role yeah. is is fine in this yeah. role. Right. Yeah. Now here we run into a situation though potentially of like you've got your Dianic Wiccans, mm-hmm. female only covens. You've got gay, specifically male Mm -hmm. covens or groups, you know, and so, you know, we can't force them necessarily to, to, to change and, and to invite people into their rituals or into their covens that they're not comfortable with, I suppose. No, no, I'm not, I'm not asking anyone to invite everyone into their coven. Right. Among other things, you should never invite anyone you don't like to your coven because you're stuck with that person. That's right. Right. (laughs) Don't invite anyone into your kindred or who you wouldn't invite into your family. But if you're going to do a public ritual. Exactly. Exactly. That's when you need to open your focus. Right. Yeah. If you're doing a public ritual and everyone's invited, if you're doing a public ritual and everyone is explicitly invited to, to attend and participate, Mm -hmm. then you have to consider that people you don't know uh-huh. We'll be there. It is so... I can't express to you the sort of just existential dread that I experience every time I go to a unfamiliar ritual with an unfamiliar ritual leader. Mm-hmm. Because it's impossible for me to guess, based on just what the ritual is supposed to be about, whether or not there's going to be a secret gendered element that just no one's ever thought about before. Mm-hmm. Right. That 
I have to ask about because they're not going to tell me. That's right. And I really which don't Which means think... to, to participate in any kind of public ritual, I have to out myself as non-binary, which I don't mind doing necessarily, but it adds just a layer of stress to that, that experience. That isn't necessary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It should be in, you know, it should be in the description of, of this is right. what type of ritual it is. And I do have issue. I do take issue with, if it's a, like you say, if it's a public event and it specifically excludes a sect of people because they don't fit into this particular tradition's normal. If they don't fit into the tradition. That's when I see a problem. I, here, so, okay, we're talking about the Z Budapest thing that yes, happened a billion are. years ago. <laughs> 2011 to be specific, but yeah. Eight. Eight years ago. I don't have a problem with there being a ritual in a public forum Okay. I don't have a problem with a ritual that is exclusive to Dianic Wiccans. Okay, fair. I do have a problem with a ritual that says all women can attend except these women. Right. Mm-hmm. Because if they, if she had said all women can attend except black women, mm-hmm. that wouldn't have been acceptable. No. So saying all women can attend except trans women, mm-hmm. that's not acceptable. Right. I don't know what has happened since. I mean, again, this happened in 2011. I do know that there were a number of covens that left that particular version of the Dianic tradition tradition. Mm -hmm. to form their own version of a Dianic tradition. New lines. New lines. All the time. Schisms are very common in traditions. But I, I do think it is something that is a problem in this idea that people are excluded because of insert word, whatever it is. Like, I wouldn't, as a non-binary person, I wouldn't expect to be welcome in that space. Right. But mm-hmm. they would have welcomed me in that space. Right. Because I was... Because I, I present. Uh, present as Oddly, female. Really kind of like... It's a restrictive tradition. That's restrictive. fine. That's yeah. fine. You can have a restrictive tradition and only allow a particular kind of person mm-hmm. in your tradition. That's, that's your prerogative. Especially if you need a safe space. That's your prerogative as the, the originator of a tradition is to decide who gets to be in it. Mm-hmm. Right. Not every tradition has to be open. Closed mm-hmm. traditions exist, and I'm fine with them. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, if you're doing a public ritual, right. you're doing a public ritual. Exactly. Right. People should not be excluded. Yeah. Interestingly, so this is making me think about like the whole ADF thing, uh-huh. where you know their public rituals are very scripted. Very structured, very yeah. Very structured if they're ADF. If you want to do it in private, it's, you know, you can do whatever. You can do whatever. Can do whatever. <laughs> flexible. I almost think it should be the other way around. That it should be more flexible. More flexible on the. In the open. In the open than it is, you know, and maybe your personal should be more structured. So that you maintain that, that, that structure, that right. organization in yeah. your life. Interesting. Yeah, so I don't know. It's just. Something I mean, I. Like, <laughs> one of them things. This is, this is going to sound um, flippant maybe, but I wonder if that's a branding thing. It could be, Like, yeah. It, yeah. an ADF ritual looks like this. You right. know, because every mm-hmm. time you see one in public, it looks it's like this. It right. looks yeah. like this, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a good thing. I'm sure that probably is it. Yeah. I, like, but, like, I, I would suspect that's at least a component. Yeah. But I wonder, like, does the ADF, I don't know, because I've never really attended an ADF ritual. I went to a class about it, but somehow that this didn't answer my question, because it's one of those things no one ever fucking talks about. Are there gendered components in ADF rituals? Some of them, yes. Yeah, see? This isn't, like, I went to a class about how ADF rituals are structured with car. It was an interesting class. I enjoyed it. But I didn't come out knowing the answer to that question. With drum. Yeah, with drum. With drum Pagano. I'm just going to say. Who's the head of the ADF? And this is why I'm a solitary. Right. (laughs) Wynn just gets to decide whatever she wants to do. I just get to do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, but that said, you do go to public rituals. I Uh do. 
So, I, I mean, the, the people can be solitary and, oh, still, and still participate Absolutely. in the community. In fact, I enjoy rituals. going to public rituals because that allows me to participate and uh, be part of the pagan community. Right. And so I do enjoy see, that. I feel like I can be a part of the pagan community and not go to a ritual mm-hmm. And feel fun. Mm-hmm. See, I, and this is where I'm in this middle place where, like, sometimes I would like to go to a public ritual, but I don't have the emotional energy to deal with the prep I'm going to have to do yeah. to, right. go to, yeah. a, to go yeah. to a public ritual. Yeah. To track that, because, first of all, sometimes ritual leaders, hard to get a hold of. Yeah. yeah. Especially at a public ritual. So that's Which means gonna... if I have a question, I have to ask. Right. Good luck. Right. <laughs> that's why I think I would like to challenge anybody out there who may be listening, who may be a leader, who does public rituals for your tradition or or whatever, be willing to write it out and give it to the participants before the ritual so they know. You don't have to go into the specifics. Long enough before the ritual that they don't have to show up. Mm -hmm. If it's just... Put it on your Facebook page. Make a Facebook event and say, this is what... You don't have to go into specifics so you ruin the The mystique mystique of the ritual. But say, okay, it is gendered or it is not gendered. These components are gendered. Participants will be asked to participate in this heteronormative performance yeah. participants right. will, will will be, be dualistic and you know per- blah, participants blah. will be gendered for the purposes of anointing Those right. that was the situation i ran into or that, that i literally ran into was we talked about that yeah, yeah we've talked about this mm-hmm. gender was assumed so that gendered individuals could be anointed mm-hmm. that's fine but i wasn't told about it ahead of time yeah right. so please take into consideration that not everybody is going to fit into your box yeah. right into and the into what you're familiar with, start being open to providing this information for people ahead of time, right. so they can come, they can be comfortable, they can enjoy the ritual along with right. everybody or else, not come or and not, then feel exactly. awkward leaving. Exactly, yeah. God, that sucks. Yeah, so, exactly. So that's why I'm saying, let them know far enough ahead that they don't, then they don't have to show up exactly. and then feel like, exactly. Well, I feel like I should leave, but I'm not. You know, they and get so, that right. whole because yeah, exactly. so you don't want to disrupt the ritual. Right. Like if you realize exactly. in the middle of it. That there's that you're about to be then misgendered, right? And you don't want to you don't want to like stop the ritual and be like, um, actually. Well, and let's be honest. There's not public rituals on every street corner no, no. in America, so most people are traveling a distance exactly. to get to a public ritual. So and knowing far enough ahead that you're not traveling that distance too would be good. Exactly. And yeah. in the day and age we live in, most of these things are announced either on a Facebook page, right. a Twitter, somewhere on the somewhere internet. Somewhere there's a there's a your website, a blog post, something right. somewhere yeah. where you can post the basic information mm-hmm. of whether or not this is a gendered yeah. event. And then people can make up their minds from there. Okay. So that's that's just my that's my request to those out there who do public rituals. Yeah. Please, please consider doing this because it, we're in the 21st century, people. It's time to acknowledge that this is something that needs to be addressed and to move forward. Yeah. It's time for Gwen's Garden Gems. <laughs> He's right. so musical this I time. I know. He's like really on top of it. <laughs> All right. So today, um, what I'm going to be talking about, and it, I did not pick something that would be necessarily... <laughs> Thematic. I, I actually, I actually had, I tried and I wasn't exactly <laughs> sure which direction to go. So I thought this was cool. It's Adder's Tongue. Sounds which is very, a name I'm very into. It's uh, very witchy also, <laughs> sounding. Also known as? It's also known as Dog Tooth Violet, Serpent's Tongue, Snake Leaf, Yellow Snowdrop, 
lamb's tongue, and trout lily. This is it's, the most Slytherin plant that's ever existed. Right? It's actually a, it's actually a lily. Technical name is Erythronium americanum. And there's 30 varieties. There's European varieties. Mm-hmm. But the one we're talking about is the American variety, known colloquially mostly as adder's tongue or trout lily seems mm-hmm. to be the, the two most popular. The magical uses for adder's tongue stops gossip and slander. Okay. It promotes healing. You can use it in divination. You can use it for lunar magic and for dream magic. And uh, it also has medicinal uses. Back in the ye olden days of the medieval times. When most medicine was magic. <laughs> yes. Lorelei okay. says, I keep it because of the cool name and the Slytherin-esque vibes. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, it was actually, and it is to this day, still used as a topical ointment mm-hmm. for wounds. It can be used as a poultice. And you can use all parts of the plant, the bulb, the leaves, can the be petals, used, and the petals. Them. Yep. They did use it for food. Back in the medieval days, they, you, you could grind bulbs into a flower hmm. that huh. you could bake with. Um, but it is used, it can be used today by naturopathic doctors, trained herbalists, and uh, it can be used as any kind of antiseptic. It can be used as an emetic. But the most popular thing it's used for is to is poultices and to make a, a balm for wounds on the skin. Interesting. And uh, it does prefer damp, slightly acidic soil. That is well-drained. It does have a pretty extensive root system. Okay. It takes three or four years for it to grow to maturity. Okay. And it does need to be kind of in... It needs to be maybe under some trees. It needs, it needs like, dappled, dappled sunlight and, yeah. and shade kind of thing. It grows best in a... Honestly, you find it... If you're foraging, you'll honestly find it in a forest a lot of the right. time. And the undergrowth... And does need to be covered if you if you're growing it you need to cover it for the winter mm-hmm. with some kind of mulch or something like that because in the forest the it the leaves are right, what the protects cover, it and then yeah. it'll come back up in the spring and then die in the fall it's it's an interesting plant it's got a definitely an interesting history like i said they used it back in rome poultices and and healing it is considered sacred to juno and it's also, I thought, to bring a little bit of medieval interesting, it's also known as Eve's Tears. They believe that when she was approaching motherhood and she wept, the, the lilies would grow where the, the teardrops fell. Huh. So Interesting. Yeah. There are two different plants with the names Adder's yeah, Tongue. Yeah, that's true. One's a fern. Ah. Yeah, and, and that's a lily. And I am talking about the lily, lily. not yeah. the fern. The fern will make you sick. Yeah. I want to design a spell. And for no other reason than because of the name, with adder's tongue called bite your tongue that makes people shut the fuck up. And you can because it's good for, for gossip, for stopping and gossip, slander. I want to design. I want just purely for the joke, just purely for the name. I think we should. I, I want to design should. a spell. And you can grow it from seed, but again, inspired. It, takes, it takes three <laughs> to four bold. years. I have yeah. absolutely no need for this spell. I just want one. That's it for Gwen's Garden Gems. Thank you. Kind of changed key, went a little higher. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Oh, and you know what we forgot to do? We forgot to give a shout out for our tea. Oh, oh shit, that's right. And hold on. Justin just said, Oh, if you make it, I would be interested too. I <laughs> will, as well. I will design also. this I will design this damn spell. I think everybody could could use a spell with a Most little adder's want, tongue. Most people will want someone to shut up at some point in their life. To get people to shut up. Exactly. All right. <laughs> so very effective this is not a commercial Mm-mm. but no uh apothecary teas yeah 
Crystal Potinin. Yeah. Yes, Potinin. Who's, Maybe. Who, sort of. Who's not in the chat right now, so she can't correct us. Let's right, go. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> sent us some tea to try because we've been sick. Yeah. And uh, so perfect. And that's why I'm in, maybe that's why I'm in such good voice. Maybe. Maybe, yeah, because you've been drinking We're all the drinking. I've been drinking the tea. Yeah. We're all drinking. And she was incredibly generous. Yeah. She said, we thought she was going to just send these little, little samples. samples. Huh. She sent us full ass bags, yeah. man. She, oh, sent us, she sent us full-size yeah, uh, full uh, bags. bags of these teas. Of yeah. these so she sent us the elderflower tea, which I put in the commercial because it's so freaking pretty. That's the one that's got all the blue flowers in it. I and drank, it's good for building up your right, immune it's, system. It's, well, no, the elderflower right? tea is good for respiratory health. Right, respiratory. Yeah. Yep. And for sore throats. So I uh, I drank that, and it's very good. It's got kind of a blueberry flavor. It's excellent. Today, I, I am drinking the sangria tea. Yes, that's what I'm having today. <laughs> Which is mostly just delicious. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. Mostly just delicious. It's got a very fruity, orangey flavor. And then I just finished an entire mug of the... Herbalist Shield. Right. Which Herbalist is for Shield. general immune yeah. health. Yep. That's the immune health one. Which, which I had very, some very of that. And I think I'm going to have some more of it in a little <laughs> while. So. I've drank, I drank two cups of that this yeah. week. I haven't had that one yet. But the elderflower tea and the sangria tea are both. I need to try the elderflower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. High so, quality. Anyway, I recommend them. Not, not, so anyway, not a commercial. Yeah, that's not. I would, the reason, we did, I her, we did her commercial good. last week, but I, I we just enjoyed it. Because it. I was taking a sip of tea. And I was like, oh shit, we didn't say yeah. anything about Crystal's tea. Yeah, we all came in here with tea to drink because, man, they were good. Yeah. Akaneko says, Ode, can it be designed to quell argumentative people? I think you'd have a lot of interest in it. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Good, absolutely. valid point. Yes, I will design the spell to do that. Yeah. Yep. We've been talking about gods and stuff. Mm-hmm. And while the website I'm going to tell you about doesn't have if they're, if they're uh, queer. queer at all, it, it has so many gods on it. Okay. You need to go to it. So it's just godchecker.com. Oh, I've oh. there. Yeah. And nice. yeah. it has such, and you just pick your pantheon yep. and you're ready to go. So you mm-hmm. can just click on Norse gods. And I think they have. 156 different ones listed, 360 something names. There, because there yeah, multiple names lot. per god. But. Yes, yeah. my Ingvi Freyr. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, and then you get into Kennings and yeah. yeah. Right. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. uh, God Checker would be yeah, and useful for getting the more obscure gods because like there are a lot right. of gods who are yeah. mentioned like once and we don't know anything once about them. And, but, yep. and you're like, but. Yep. So, is there anything else that uh, we need to be discussing that we have missed, or to- have we hit the topics? I think we've hit we've we've hit sort of all the the topics I was most concerned with. Yep. I did want to talk a little bit, and we sort of brushed on it about decoupling roles from genders. Mm-hmm. We talked about that a little bit, but like in a lot of traditions, the high priest and the high priestess do different things. Well, why? Yeah, right. Exactly. Why do they do different why things? Why do they need and to? Which one, as a non-binary person, would I be if I got to that level in your tradition? Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. You know, would that be like? Would that be defined by my my biological sex, or would it be? Would you create? Would you have to create a new role that I could fill as a non-binary person? Mm-hmm. Would I do both? Neither. Is, like, is it? Can I just not have that that leadership position in your coven because I'm I am and I think non-binary. You know, like these are important questions that you have to ask. I think it comes yeah. down to that for some of these for some of these traditions mm-hmm. is that a person would not be able to yeah. fulfill a leadership role in uh, that tradition. Yeah, as a as a high priest or a high priestess, exactly. As a non-binary person, I can't be either of those things. 
Right. I mean, I, I mean, I guess I could be both of those things. Yeah. Right. But, but I couldn't be one or the other, or I wouldn't be comfortable being one or the other. Right. 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 So I think that's important. There are some things Carmel wants to cover. Well, just mm. some links I think that yeah. people need to get to. One is on Patheos. It's called a queer pagan reading list. Yeah, it's mm. very comprehensive. It's very comprehensive, and it's broken down. So you have gay, inclusive, kink, lesbian polyamory, queer, transgender, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, that's so. another thing. Polyamory isn't explicitly under the, like, queer LGBT no. No. Uh, umbrella. But it, but, but, it, but it, <laughs> most polyamorous relationships will involve some right. kind of some queer kind element. Of queer right, element. yep. Yeah. So, you know, so I think it's fair to, to include them as part of this conversation. Yep. So heteronormative, like, one male, one female partner arrangements in, in paganism completely just ignore people in polyamorous mm -hmm. relationships. People and who have multiple some partners. people in, in, uh, that we've the met. Yeah. Yeah. The poly community. Yeah. Who, who are pagan. Who yeah. have very strong, fulfilling polyamorous relationships. Exactly. Yep. Uh, frankly, <laughs> I don't really do relationships, but if I did, polyamory seems way more practical to me. You get to split up all the emotional load between more people. <laughs> no one is relying on one person to be their sole anchor in life. This seems much more practical. Yeah. <laughs> Another one would be Cherry Hill Seminary. Hmm. In a past course, and it looks like they're going to offer it again, mm -hmm. there is actually a queer pagan theology crash course yes. uh, class, nice. which I think would be really which cool. Which is taught, yeah. or was taught last time. Uh, by Christine Kramer. Who, yeah, who, who we, we talked about, talked about in the last in the episode. First mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So look at that. We made that round Brought, a, brought, a, brought a another callback. Another callback, yep. Um, and then uh, on myoutspirit.com, they have a way to browse resources, and in this particular case, communities mm -hmm. um, that are queer friendly. friendly. Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, you can go to that. There's like 12 pages of them, and mm. they're all over the world. But if you live near one, it might be a chance for you to connect with some people. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and I particularly, it's 12 pages in the pagan slash earth-based religions yeah. area. Yeah. So. Yeah, um, and it can be easy to feel isolated. Um, mm -hmm. It can be easy to feel isolated as a queer person. It can be easy to feel isolated as a pagan person. It's double extra easy, mm -hmm. therefore, to feel isolated as a queer pagan person. Exactly, right. exactly. And I think that's something we need to address and make changes. Mm -hmm. Why can't we step forward into the 21st century and be the example for the rest of the world, and you know? Here's the thing. I don't want to... I know we've had a lot of complaints this episode, I don't want it to sound like, like we're not doing bad necessarily. No, no. we're probably more open than other religious traditions. But we could do better. Yep, yep. we can do better. And if you can do better, do you it. kind of have an obligation yep. to yeah. do better. Exactly. If we really want to heal the world as as pagans, mm -hmm. that's that's part of our calling, really. Is to, certainly, yeah. A lot of pagans feel that that's their mandate. Their mandate yeah. is to heal the world. And that includes humanity you can't, or people. You can't heal the world if you can't heal your neighbor. Right, exactly. Right. Exactly. So we need to we need to take care of what's going on in house. Yeah. So that we can reach out and be an example to the world. Right. There is a book that's out of print that I want to bring up. God, oh. yeah. Which one? Car and I both desperately want this book. Yep. It's out of print and it costs a billion dollars. <laughs> a billion being like in the forty to fifty dollars. It's range. too many dollars. As, as you can tell. Ode is uh, an expert in hyperbole. <laughs> <laughs> I learned from the best. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, it's called Castle's Encyclopedia of Queer Myth, 
symbol and spirit, gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender lore. Mm. Came out in 1997. It is okay. by... Randy Connor. Yeah. Is there not... David Sparks, Mariah Sparks, and one more. Yeah. It's out of print, so it costs a lot of money, especially if you want the hardcover. There's nothing uh, available online anywhere. I mean, you can get it on Amazon used. But I mean, like a PDF that's been... Nope. No, I don't think so. It's not available. that far out of print. Not that no. far out of print yeah. where it's been made public. Nope. Yeah, so gotcha. currently, if you want a new hardcover copy of it, it's going to run you about 130 bucks. Wow. So. Yikesers. Yeah. Yep. But it looks like a very good book. Yes. So if anyone has it, enjoy that. <laughs> Yeah. I guess, and let us know if it's as good as it looks. <laughs> yeah. Because we're definitely... <laughs> we want it. Yep. Yep. So, so cool. I, I think it might be time for Cars Feast Table. Cars Feast Table. <laughs> You're going. I know. Uh, so... He thought he was going to wiggle out. Uh-huh. He thought I we'd was. Forget. I was really hoping. Like, we're almost so close. this episode. So close. And, uh, Here we go. So the, the recipe I found is chicken... It is... Chicken sotagan soup. Yeah, there you go. Sotagan, uh, sotagan, so, something like that. Yeah. It's a Filipino it, word. It's a Filipino dish um, that actually looks amazingly delicious. So here are the ingredients that you will need. Okay. Vermicelli noodles. Mm-hmm. That's not, that. That's, that's that, not vermicelli. It's the long, the long. That's that extremely, extremely thin pasta. Right. Yep. Dried shiitake mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Some olive oil. Lots of lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of garlic. It says two cloves, but Car and I are of the opinion you could put two bulbs in there right, probably and be fine. fine. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, an onion, two cups of shredded cooked chicken meat. Rotisserie chicken would work really well for mm-hmm. that. As a matter of fact, if you buy the rotisserie chicken and you get the chicken meat off of it for it, you can then use the bones to make your own chicken broth, which it yep. also calls for next. Make a bone stock. Yep. I like that and idea. Just, just eat the skin because rotisserie skin is really good. Yes, <laughs> Unless you're a vegetarian, and then I apologize. (laughs) You also put in uh, two tablespoons of fish sauce, or you can also do two teaspoons of salt. Mm -hmm. Um, Just to give it some saltiness. Then you're going to use an eighth of a teaspoon of white pepper and some chopped green onions. Sounds good. Which Ode loves chopped onions. I love green onions so much. I could very easily see how this could be made into a vegan or vegetarian. Sure, you just eliminate the chicken chicken. and the the fish stock. Use tofu. Veggie broth, yep. yep. So you could do that Mm -hmm. for sure. Let me explain, though, why I in particular found this Yeah, I liked this idea or this um, reason. So I started doing some research, and I was like, okay, queer food. Because Carr just will Google anything. Exactly. He's, he's not he's afraid got... of being put on a watch list. <laughs> <He's>... <laughs> he is strong in the Google foo. And I came up with a New York Times article called Building a Table for All, the Ascent mm-hmm. of Queer Food Culture. Which um, was, I'd never heard of before. Right. So I didn't uh, know we had a food culture. But why not? <laughs> this particular dish was brought to a thing called Queer Soup Night that happens in Brooklyn, New York. And so I thought, this is perfect then. It kind of fits in what we're talking about, but mm-hmm. it also sounds delicious. Because it, it sounds really good. Um, really so uh, we will be making uh-huh. uh, that. But that is a monthly thing that happens in Brooklyn. And then it is, uh, if you read through the entire article, which I did, you will find out that a lot of it is based on what is called equity at the table or eat. Nice. Eat. Eat. <laughs> so, Eat's mission mm-hmm. is to build a longer table, 
not a higher fence. Which is such a good nice. fucking aphorism. I, I love, love that. that. So, and it is a practical and proactive response to blatant gender and racial discrimination mm-hmm. in the food industry. Mm-hmm. Nice. So that's on the cook side, right. the yep. wait staff side, that kind of thing. Which, the kitchen. My mm-hmm. brother works in the food industry. Well, from time to time. From, from time, time to time. time. Yep. As and a survival mechanism. Yep. And I want it to be better for him. And uh, there's actually, they have an easy-to-navigate database on their website that allows you to, like, look for food industry professionals so that it's mm-hmm. featured only women, gender non-conforming individuals, and focuses primarily on POC and the LGBTQ community. If nobody knows what POC means, because I've just seen this come it's up. people of color. Right. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people question what that means. Really? POC? Yeah. I so, thought that was pretty straightforward. I thought it was too, but... I Maybe this is one of those things that I learned in, like, the early days of the internet, and it has since fallen and come back into fashion. Could yeah, be, yes. Could be. So, anyway, so I don't know if you're familiar with restaurants. I personally love to cook. It just, again, as we've it, talked... It's an ordeal. It's an ordeal when mm-hmm. I do it. But one of the things that I always look for, like, if we're going to a new town or mm-hmm. something, I try to find a James Beard mm-hmm. restaurant. So, it turns out James Beard was gay. I knew that. So I thought that was very interesting. I did not know that. It didn't come out until after he passed away. Mm. So he was closeted the entire time. But anyway, that's the award that goes to like the best restaurant in town is the James Beard Award. Sorry, Michelin. (laughs) Uh, Your stars don't count in my book. Uh, (laughs) Car standards are higher than Michelin. My understanding is it's considered pretty well equal to Michelin. I mean, it's right up there. I would consider it better. Personally, yeah. I, Car's personal standards are the James Beard Award or nothing. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, anyway, so I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, so. very cool. And that's it for Car's Feast Table. Car's Feast Table. <laughs> that's the first time we've done an ending. Yeah, but it, clearly he was wrapping up and we needed to kind of cap it off <laughs> for him. Instead of just going, well... Uh-huh. So Justin asks... What do you think of ritual elements that require one to do gender elements to advance to another degree, whether as a straight or a queer person? I think it's shitty. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's I think it's bad. Like in a closed tradition, I can't tell you what to do, but I couldn't be part of that tradition. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I naturally object to it. My my question is things evolve. You know, concepts yeah. and and things evolve. Why could this element of a tradition not evolve as well to include people who don't fit into those specific I mean, chances, categories. The ch- chances are you've done at least one ritual in an air-conditioned location, so yeah, come at just, me. <laughs> let me just say, though, that this is stupid to begin with because if we go back to where this all began mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. pagandom, for lack of Pagan, a better term, mm-hmm. in paganism, they didn't exist then. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the gender norms we have now because yeah. there was a third gender or there was. Mm-hmm. Or for that matter, just weird. Well, and to be fair, though, paganism as we understand it today. Right. Neo-paganism. Neo-paganism. Right. It, was, it didn't exist back then. It was Correct. a completely it was different life. thing. It right. was yeah. life. But what we're trying to do yeah. is recreate, recreate that, that life. life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's take out the crap that didn't exist then. Mm-hmm. Or so for, that for was that... a very good question, by the way, yeah. Justin. Thank you. Yeah, it was an excellent question. <laughs> made us all... And, uh, ah! Right, we all were like suddenly up in arms again. <laughs> what, Thanks, what, do I, what do I think of mandatory gender requirements? I think they're shitty. <laughs> and I would have to agree. I would have to agree. Like, as I said, I, I think we've gotten to a place... And like, if you have to... That we is... should be able to adapt and evolve. That This is the thing. To advance or to another... Evolve. 
to advance to another degree is part of that question. Like right. mm-hmm. to move to another, like to, to initiate. Yeah. 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 Like that's super shitty. To, because that holds people to a specific, exactly. to a certain level. So it means like a non, a non-binary person like myself in a tradition like this would never be able to advance without, well, actually, without pretending to be, without like choosing a gender. To right, be honest, yeah. it would be, it would be a tradition you couldn't even really participate in. And what if it's something you are really drawn to mm-hmm. and really called to? Right. You know, yeah. and, but you, because of the rules of, of how the tradition is gendered. And we wonder why there are so many solitaries. Elimin- yeah. It, right? elim- it eliminates yeah. you. Right. Yeah. It eliminates for, you from the possibility of even going in that for, direction. For a community that's very like non-dogmatic, God, we get dogmatic sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But honestly, I think that's people. Yeah. I think people get dogmatic. We create rules. Justin says, I've heard of traditions that require mating with the high priest or priestess to hit to third degree. Yeah, I've heard of that too. And that's shitty on several levels. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which, that's I mean, go back and in... go back and listen to our neo-paganism and sexual abuse episode. Exactly. Right. We probably when... touched on it there too. We, we did. did. We did. And that's where those issues come in with consent. Yeah. And it's informed hard. consent. Right. And... This is the thing. Consent isn't isn't possible under a coercive system. Yeah. So if you are coerced in any way, exactly, your consent isn't right. isn't validated. You which means you if, can't get to the third degree unless, unless you have you sex have with sex me. With that's someone. That, which which you means you cannot be consenting at that. Yeah, point. exactly. You, even because if you think you're consenting legally, that's not consent right. because someone is in power over, over yeah. you. Yeah. Someone and someone taken, who has a position of authority your, over you, and they've taken your autonomy away. Yep. 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 Because you can't advance to that level unless you do this. That completely negates yeah. any choice. It, in, it invalidates yeah. consent. It does. Yep. It does. Another so, good question. Yep. So. Or statement. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for uh, getting us riled up. <laughs> yeah, but that's what we want. That's we, what we no, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we like it when our, our, uh, our, our hunters. Thanks for getting yep. us riled up, Justin. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, you were sounding a little sarcastic. No, that's just there. his default voice. Well, fair. <laughs> All okay. right, so is that it? Yeah, I think we've covered everything now. You can find us at 3pagansandacat.com. You can also find us on Facebook at 3pack. That's 3, the number 3, P-A-A-C. You can also find us on Twitter at 3 underscore pagans. And then also we are going to convocation in February. Yep. Mm-hmm. February 21st be, through the 24th. Correct. Yep. In we the will Detroit be speaking area. there. Mm-hmm. We will be doing the ultra high speed edition of the Building Your Book series, mm-hmm. which is the entire series. Yep. In, in an, an hour. An hour and a half. Hour and a half. Oh, we have an hour and, and a half? It's an hour, hour and a half. half. Okay, good. We get an extra half hour. Um, I'll also be doing quite a few interviews there. Mm-hmm. Will it be in on some of them? Yes, yep. Some of them, uh, Odin Gwyn will be a part of. Some of them I won't be at because I'm going to be at classes. classes. And then we're going to tell you all about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then if you're a patron uh, and you're part of our Patreon, you actually get those episodes of those interviews early. A month early. Yep. A yep. month, 30 days early, except for one. Yeah. One of them is going to be released simultaneously on our podcast. And on James Stovalls and Sarah Thodenson's yep, podcast. Which yep. we're looking forward to. Yep. Yeah. It's going to be so, exciting. Um, if you would like to help us get to Convocation, yep. we have a GoFundMe. You can find that on our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. That actually sits right at the top. In <laughs> post. Yep. And it is an expensive venture. Um, <laughs> most of the money, well, actually probably all of the money that we get uh, from our monthly patrons will be put toward that goal, but we yeah. definitely need more. Yeah, it's about a $1,500 adventure yeah. for us. So. Yep. For four days of hotel and food, food and, and travel, yep. actual tickets. tickets. Right, yeah. yep. 
So we don't get in free. No, no. no. <laughs> so no, gotta pay for those tickets. Yep. So we could use your help. Yep. Yep. So if you feel so inclined, feel free to jump by there and hit the GoFundMe up, and we'll figure it out from there. Or share it. Or yeah. share it. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I think, think that's, that's it. Yeah, that I think it? that's all our all the places we're at, okay. all the stuff we do, all the things that so. are coming up. And I think yeah. we've pretty. I I hope we covered this topic. Yeah, I think we finally. <laughs> but it was a good. I think yep. it was a good discussion. Yep. Yeah, I think it was stuff that needed to be said. And I know that we have a lot of the queer community in our in, in our, our listenership. listenership. Yep. And yeah. We yep. love you guys, and we want you to feel like we are a safe space for you. Yeah. I mean, I'm in it. So. Yep. Right. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Me too. And so's Gwen. So. It would be pretty awkward if we were an unsafe space for queers. But you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. And if you happen to be on our Discord, or let me rephrase. If join you, our Discord. Yes. Join our Discord. If you don't happen to be on our Discord, join it, because we have a bunch of new things. Yeah, we have a bunch of, of new channels. One of the which is for each of our paths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have one, an area. We also have a pagan study hall area. Yep. We have an Oz and Lols <laughs> Uh, area. Pictures for pictures of cute animals and memes. Yep. yep. Right now, it's all cute animals. <laughs> it's I everybody's pets. Yeah. Yet. No memes so. yet. No memes. Just cats <laughs> and, and pets. And I pets. think there's a lizard. I saw a dog. Yeah. Yeah. We have episode discussions. Uh, so join us. There. Yep. And we've got the requested channel, "Come Harass the Pride," where y'all can post your hashtag goals and at me, and I will pin them. And periodically, I will be going through and adding people to remind them to do the shit they said they were going to do. Yep. <laughs> exactly. All right. All right. That's it. I think we yep. finally made I think it we're to done. the end. I think we're finally, yeah. finally good. Hold yep. on. I need this right. thing here. Yeah. So, so I got to get the mouse. Little yeah. mouse. All right. So you can now press the button. Where's, where's the right. stop button? There it is. There. Okay, cool. Just click stop. You've been listening to Three Pagans and a Cat. Find out more information at www.threepagansandacat.com. <laughs>